You are listening to the Zen Nova Scotia podcast with talks by Cone Franz. These talks are made possible in part by generous donations from our listeners. To find out how to support and take part in our community, visit zennovascotia.com. Yesterday was Thanksgiving. And uh, I cooked Thanksgiving dinner. I'm not bragging, but I did it all by myself. And it was pretty good. And we had guests, uh, which we don't have every year, but that was fun. And so I was trying to figure out how much to serve everybody. So, so it was a two tofurkey dinner. And I got two boxes of instant stuffing and I was, everything got doubled because I, I was afraid that we would run out. But I was always, I was thinking, of, and in the monastery, you know, it would, it would be uh, much stricter than that. You would think, well, that guy eats a lot and that guy eats a little bit and you would try and make just enough so that everybody was happy. I've, if I ever was able to do that, I've lost it. So now I just make a bunch. That was my whole strategy yesterday. And that's fun. It's fun to think uh, in terms of those numbers. And then when you fail, it's okay because you have a fridge full of leftovers. When we say the vows, we say beings are countless. I vow to free them all. And it sounds like it creates a problem. I've said many times that we we can't hear this word countless to mean impossible. Otherwise, what's the point, right? We don't lie. Our practice is not to lie. So if we stand up and we say, beings are countless, I vow to free them all, and we're thinking, but I can't do that because there are too many of them, then we're lying. We're lying to ourselves, we're lying to everyone in the room. That won't work. It's better not to say it. Countless doesn't mean you can't do it. Countless means a couple things. The first is, it means you don't know how many people are showing up for dinner. So next year, if I say, would you come over to my house and help me cook Thanksgiving dinner? You say, sure. You say, how many people are coming? I say, well, everybody's coming. Mm -hmm. Everybody? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Then you show up and what do you do? If you stand in the kitchen and you say, but we don't have enough for everybody. Then why did you come? You just cook everything. You empty the fridge. You empty the pantry. You empty the cabinets. You go to the neighbor. You cook everything to cook for everybody. It's that simple. You don't get to, you don't get to measure. Right. Countless means don't measure this. If you measure it, you'll get stuck. If you measure it, you'll stop. 
if there's some place that you absolutely have to go, you have no choice but to go there. It doesn't matter how many miles there are between you and that place. Don't even ask. That's just, that's just entertaining your mind, right? You know you're going to drive the whole way. <laughs> you know that you're not going to stop halfway and turn around. You know that because that's vow. If you've established that you know you're going to go all the way to the destination, any measurable aspect of that endeavor is a useless question. You drop it and you do it. If you say, I will free all beings, you do it. It doesn't matter if you don't know how. And it doesn't matter if you don't know the scale. You know the scale. It's just not something you can write down. Because there's this other aspect of countless. <laughs> I think we have a tendency when we read these kinds of words to take them to be kind of poetic. But it's actually fairly mathematical. It's fairly clear. If something is countless, it's finite. It's, I mean, it's not finite. If something is not finite, it's infinite. If an object is infinite in number, then according to my understanding, that can only mean one thing, which is that that thing is everything. There's nothing that's not that thing. That's what allows it to be infinite. Otherwise, it would bump into things that it's not. It would have boundaries. So what is a being? Everything is a being. Someone asked Robert Aitken, one of the great teachers of the last century, what is a being? And he said, a quadratic equation. I love that answer. Because he knew the thing that the other person would not expect. If you have to include a quadratic equation in your list of beings, you have to include everything in your list of beings. Right? Everything. This. We're very lucky in this tradition because in, in some schools of thought, there's a lot of uh, distinction about what is a being and what is not a being. Right? Because it gets into what is sentient. What is aware? What is not aware? Dogen, 800 years ago, was very, very explicit. A rock is a being. A tree is a being. Sentient and insentient. That's just another way to stop yourself. That's another way to say, well, I only have to go this far. We take up this vow. And as I said a couple weeks ago, it doesn't have to be so clear in our minds. It's very beautiful that we say this, that we say beings are countless. I vow to free them all. That's, that's a great thing to be poked with, you know. But underlying that kind of vow 
I think there's a deeper sense of vow, which is something that we just feel because we're human. It's a kind of call to service. It's a call to work for something that's greater than ourselves. And it may be that, that we can't articulate it. It may be that I vow to free all beings only barely scratches the surface of that thing. You know, it just points us somewhere. So we have somewhere to go. It's okay if you don't memorize this sentence, you know. It's okay if you don't say it to yourself every day, though it's a nice thing to say to yourself every day. As long as you don't lose that other thing, that other thread, that other feeling of being pulled towards something. If you can feel that vow, that unnamed vow, that's enough as long as you respect it. But just in case we say these things over and over again. Beings are countless. I vow to free them all. Free them from what? Well, first from you. Don't impose yourself on them. Think about how you affect others, how you affect the world. What are the things you take for granted? What are the things that you expect? Because you're just entitled to those things. You can start there. And then, and then we can go a little bit deeper and we can start to notice all the things that we don't want to liberate, all the things that we don't want to free. The most fundamental, of course, is ourselves. Right? This idea of I, this idea of who I am and what I mean. The whole tradition trying to talk at us from 10,000 different directions about how if we don't let go of that, if we don't liberate that, we can't move forward at all. But it's not just that. There are people with whom you're in relationship and, and you want them to be just so, right? Or you hold them to something they said 10 years ago. Or you hold them to who they were when you met. Or you hold them to the potential that you see in them 
and you're waiting for them to fulfill whether they see it or not. And in that way, they are not free. Whether they know it or not. Because you've put cages around everything. Right? You've taken a universe of things that, that are in motion and you've said, no, stop. <laughs> stop, because when you don't move, I know what you are. I understand you when you're still, but I don't understand you when you start to act and when you start to change and when you start to evolve. We do this with everything. We make things small. I was reading a teaching the other day by a, a, someone in the, in the Tibetan tradition, and she was talking about how, she was talking about a teacher from the last century whose kind of favorite thing to talk about was how we're all magicians. Everyone is a magician because what we do is we take things that aren't real and we make them real. And we do it all the time. In Zen, we wouldn't say real and not real so much. That's maybe a little bit slippery. But we look at a, at a table and we say, well, that's, I know what that is. That has a beginning and it has an end, right? We don't imagine that we're in relationship to this. We don't understand that when we move, everything moves. When I'm in a, a shallow pool with my kids, sometimes we'll, we'll walk and we watch the water push and we talk about it. This is what's happening all the time. We just don't see it. <laughs> We don't see it when we're walking through the air, right? But we're always pushing the world. And we're always being pushed by the world. And that table is no different. That table is in motion the same way that we're in motion. That table is not as small as you think. <laughs> but it's very handy for us if it is. Otherwise, how do we put our food on it? We can't trust it. Right. In everything that we do, just in order to hold our world together, we reduce things to something that we can handle. Again, including ourselves. We hold everything really, really tightly. 
this action of letting go is the fundamental action. It's the baseline of everything that we do. Not just we as you know, Zen people, but as people, as beings. We have a fundamental choice to hold our hand like this or to hold our hand like this. This looks easier. But if you do it for a while, it's clear that it's not. This is an illusion, right? We think we're at rest. If you catch a, if you've ever caught a grasshopper and you've tried to keep it in there, that's a lot of work. It shouldn't be, but it is. This is simple. But, but it's also scary. It's scary to walk down a street that's full of possibility. It's scary to talk with someone you know and entertain the possibility that you don't know. It's scary to consider the possibility that we're holding ourselves hostage in ways that we can't see. We're all, all of us, beings who hold bias. And more importantly, we are all of us beings who hold unconscious bias. It's not that we close our fist around another person and we know we're doing it. It's, it's not that we see the way we're limiting our relationship to that person or the way that we're limiting ourselves or the way that we're limiting them. It's that we think this is just how it is. This is the most natural encounter I could have. And the thing about that is that we don't know what we don't know. Right? We don't see what we're doing. And so I can say, let go, let go, let go. But some of the things that are most important to let go, we don't know, we don't know we're doing it. Right? We don't feel it. I think a lot about uh, about sexism and how pervasive it is and how when I was a younger man I didn't, I didn't know that. Knowing that I didn't know it then makes me aware that even now I don't know it all the way. <laughs> right? I have a window into how little I saw and that just makes me nervous for how little I see now. And I look back at who I was when I was 20 years old. 
I, I think back, I was talking with a friend the other day about how when we were younger, you know, half our lifetimes ago, the kinds of jokes we used to make with our friends about women, not because we thought that we were being hateful, but because we thought we were being funny and we thought it was fine. You know, that was how people talked. And those were the jokes. And we all would laugh. And, and sometimes the women in the room would laugh. And, and we were clueless. And yet if we, we were, what we were saying is if we were to go back in time now and watch ourselves then, it would be, it would be mortifying, right? I know that I come out of that. I know that I come out of small town Montana <laughs> and a culture of men. And so even though I want to see clearly, I know that I'm not... It, I'm not starting fresh, <laughs> right? It's a process of stripping away. It's a process of unpacking and it's a process of reminding myself that there's no way that I see everything that I want to see. That's just one example, right? A painful example and sometimes an embarrassing example, sometimes a hurtful example. But if I am still learning to see suffering on a mass scale around me that has always been going on around me, if that's a lifetime project, how little do I understand of another person's suffering as an individual? How little do I see? How easy is it for me to, again, to simplify that person? Or when I do recognize the suffering, to say, well, I know what that is. You know, I know what's wrong with that person. It's so clear. If only he would... Right? Oh, it would be nice if she could see it too. I can see it. It's clear as day. That's not reality. We don't know what we don't know, but we can, we can start to see that we don't know. <laughs> we can start to take that as an assumption all the time. All the moments when we're sure those are the moments when we close our fist. All those moments when we say, oh, I know what this is. That's a cage. It's a cage for you and it's a cage for me. But when there's an encounter and I say, I don't know what this is. Not in a bewildered way, not in a confused way, but in an open way. I know there's more here than I can articulate. I know there's more here 
than what is what immediate than what is immediately visible to me. Then something starts to relax. Then there's an opportunity. Then something might start to be liberated. And then we don't know what's going to happen. And that's where I'll stop. For more information about Zen, our practice, and how you can support and take part in our community, please visit zennovascotia.com.